Whether you're a polyamateur or polyambitious, polyambiguous or polyam, I really hold your head high. Let your freaky flag fly, cause your polyamory should be uncensored. Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. Welcome to episode 70, where we talk with Leanne about budgeting and poly. Stay tuned as we discuss the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. So Leanne, who are you? I am a, I'm now 42 years old. I recently had a birthday. Uh, I am a uh, cis white uh, female. I am uh, bi slash pan. I I really just prefer to go by queer. Uh, And uh, I'm polyamorous. I'm also an electronics technician and a mother of two. So what does polyamory mean to you? So polyamory means to me um, the ability to have a lot of different relationships and not have to ascribe a certain label or expectation to any of them, but basically just be able to make an initial connection with a person and then organically see what develops from there. So it may be multiple romantic relationships, it may be multiple sexual relationships, or it may be multiple platonic intimate friendships. Um, I am very much a, a relationship anarchist. I don't do the relationship escalator. I also really don't like labels that much. Uh, I know it makes it easier for some people, um, but pretty much when it comes to most areas of my life, my philosophy is don't make me choose. And what drew you to polyamory? Well, what drew me to polyamory was just, and this was, so I actually was a little bit of background about me. I was married for almost 20 years. And this is a relationship that actually my my ex-husband, you know, my husband and I at the time had this conversation over a period of about 10 years uh, in, uh, in into our marriage um, about the the possibility of I guess you know opening up or at least you know um, experience developing relationships with other partners um, and things like that. Um, but honestly, I think even before I I met my husband, um, I had long felt like. I wanted to explore multiple connections with people. And like I said, it wasn't always romantic or whatever. It was just whatever happened with that person. And I didn't think it was, I I, I couldn't see myself just sticking to, you can only have one romantic partner. You can only have one sexual partner or your friendship can only be defined by these parameters and not by this over here. 
Um, and so I think that's always been a philosophy for me for as long as I can remember, even though I didn't, I, I was, you know, very shy and introverted and awkward growing up. And so I didn't even have my first relationship until my senior year of high school. Uh, and then, um, oh yeah, one thing I also forgot to mention in my self-identification, uh, I'm uh, an Air Force veteran. So I was in the military. And um, so uh, there was, uh, that. this was in the 90s. And so it was during the height of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Uh, and at the time I was, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't really know what, I didn't realize that I had an attraction to other women, other, other girls or whatever. Uh, I admired them. I looked up to them. I could, you know, Oh, I want to be like you. Um, and then it wasn't until I actually got in the military and, you know, communal living and stuff like that, that I'm about age 18 or 19, something switched over and it was like, Oh, I might be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that that's basically what, what drew me. And actually, during uh, our version of military college that they call technical school, which is actually nothing like actual college, uh, but I had a boyfriend at the time. And then there was also this other guy that I was interested in, you know, being fr friendship with kind of flirty, you know, and stuff. And and at the time, you know, I, I was like, yeah, let's all meet up or whatever. And then the two of them were like, what's going on? And I'm like, isn't this fun? And they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so what, if anything, do you find difficult about Pollyanna Marie? Um, I think a big part of it is unlearning everything that you've learned up until that point about the way that you're supposed to communicate with others and uh, just the, the idea that you should be able to anticipate your partner's needs without them having to say anything. And I think that communication is a really, really big part of polyamory, of any relationship, but particularly with polyamory, because you're dealing with so many people who have so many life experiences and they have so many different communication styles, different personalities. You might, you know, you, you might date one partner that's an extrovert and you might date another one that's an introvert and you might date someone who has a you know, uh, who has really good communication skills, you might date someone that doesn't or that needs a little bit of help or has had a lot of trauma. And so you, it, it, you really have to cover all of the different uh, communication styles and be able to just meet people where they are. And I've had to do so much work on myself and I don't always get it right and I mess it up, but I try to learn from it and and move forward. And then of course, you know, there's always, of course, time, you know, um, your, your, your desire might be infinite, but your time most definitely is not. And so, you know, scheduling and particularly if you're a parent or if, uh, you know, you have a, a busy life already, of course, with the pandemic that has really, 
um, thrown a wrench into things. Um, so I have a nesting partner and he and I have been together for um, three, yeah, three going on, yeah, like three and a half years now. Um, we actually met uh, while I was still married. We started dating because my husband and I at the time were both polyamorous. And so it was, it was completely ethical. There wasn't anything under the table or anything like that. But there were some, uh, it, it exposed the differences in not only relationship dynamics, but also communication styles between me and my now ex-husband. And ultimately, it just proved to be too difficult. And so um, we had incompatibility issues that we didn't realize were there before we came into polyamory. And so it really puts a magnifying glass on things and makes you, um, if you, if you already had a strong relationship, then it can definitely enhance that and make it even better, add value to it. But if you have a relationship where there's some, some fundamental flaws that maybe at, up until that point, you've been able to kind of gloss over or not pay attention to that magnifying glass is going to expose them and you're really going to have to either work on it or watch it crumble and when did you know you were poly that's a difficult question um like i said i i i always well i always knew i was different in some way uh just a weird kid um but I didn't, and I didn't know terms. I didn't know that there was a, a term for polyamorous. I didn't know what it was. Um, I, I had an idea of the concept of it, but like I said, we'd had this discussion for uh, many years before actually putting anything into, in, into motion, into practice. Um, so I think, I think I had, like, like I said, going back to 18, 19 year old, in the military and ultimately realizing that it wasn't for me. <laughs> uh, I love, I love the training that I got, but it wasn't, it wasn't for me. Um, so I think that was a right around the time that I, I started desiring, like I said, multiple connections with people, whatever label you want to put on it without any expectations or, uh, guidelines of, of this is how it's supposed to be and you can't do this and you can't do that. So pretty young age, but still not really putting any of that into mm, practice until almost age, no, after, after age 30. So you already sort of addressed our usual next question, which is like, when did you feel different? Do you mm. want to say anything more about that? Um, well, I mean, uh, I, you know, I can't really think of anything else to add to that. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. So, um, so where are you in your poly journey? So right now, um, like I said, I have, I have a nesting partner. I also have uh, a girlfriend and she and I actually started dating in 2019. We were introduced by mutual friends uh, and we dated for most of that year, uh, near the end of the year in November, um, we ultimately decided to de-escalate the relationship due to, there were a lot of things going on in her life. She had other partners at the time. 
Um, we still very much loved each other and cared for each other and wanted to be in each other's lives. But at the time, um, we chose to de-escalate, but we did remain very close friends. And at the time, also, uh, there, there was a point in 2019 where I had four partners, and so did she. And so that was interesting being able to try to juggle all those dynamics. And even one of those was a shared partner between us. And so, um, you know, and then uh, that relationship, you know, didn't, didn't uh, last too long. And then, but then they were still together. And so um, that was interesting to have that kind of dynamic where you have a specific connection to someone who your partner has a, a connection also, but then things between you and that person don't necessarily work out, but they're still with that other person and you're still with that other person. And so that makes things interesting. Um, but what happened is, of course, you know, 2020 happened. I, in the, near the end of 2019, I actually went through three separate breakups in the house. Yeah. In the course of four months. Uh, and by the last one, I was like, and, and, and they were all amicable. They weren't, they, they weren't bad or anything. We're all still good friends. Um, but I was like, you know, I think, I think it's time for me to take some time for myself and just kind of focus on myself for a little bit and heal and work on myself. And maybe later I'll have a little more bandwidth to be able to start seeing people besides my nesting partner again. Uh, and then 2020 happened and then I actually got really sick uh, and I was sick for several months. And so it's actually a good thing in hindsight at the time it wasn't, but it, in hindsight, I'm actually glad that I didn't have uh, additional relationships outside of my nesting partner at the time, because it would have put such a, a strain on them. Um, and so 2020 happened. I did get better. I recovered. I started going back to work. Uh, and then uh, my, well, she wasn't my girlfriend at the time, but we were still very close friends. And we started hanging out again, socially distanced. Uh, and, and then we realized that we still really cared for each other. And we talked about it and we decided to go ahead and, and renew our relationship. And so that's where we were. And then that happened in November of last year. And we've been together since. And I think it's actually having that time apart and having them not in my life constantly um, kind of made me realize, you know, just how much I care for them and how much I miss them. And, and, and she felt the same way about me. Um, and so I think now our bond is even stronger. So I'm actually really happy where I am right now. Uh, I am finally, you know, getting enough bandwidth to be able to start talking to other people. We get vaccinated. We'll safely start hanging out again, you know. Um, but as it is right now, I have so much love and support and just wonderful relationships. I'm actually very fulfilled right now. So our next question is usually, uh, where do you hope to go in your poly journey? Or do you have any poly goals? Might be a good um, way to frame that. 
So an ultimate poly goal of mine, and I'm sure that a lot of people have said this, is the idea of kind of the village uh, <laughs> where you have a bunch of very close friends or partners all having like a huge plot of land or houses next to each other. I actually, I had, you know, some of my best friends were a married couple and they had kids around my kid's age and um, they've moved away from the area since then. But, you know, a few years ago, we all took care of each other's kids. We all, uh, you know, hung out. We all did life together, even if we didn't live together. And so that was just like a small uh, glimpse into what that could be like. And it was wonderful just knowing that, you know, not only did you have these people in your life that love and support you, but then also that, your kids have these other people too and they their kids have these other people and so I think that's like a main poly goal I don't I don't know if that's going to happen or not but it would be wonderful if it did end up that way I think I think that would be ultimate poly goals for me yeah that support network that includes the whole family is just so lovely it really is um, I know, Lindsay, that you sort of have that situation through your meta. And I also really have a situation like that through one of my, par- well, really all of my partners and also metas um, and metas with kids. It's really just fantastic to be able to support one another that way and know that there are these people in the world who really care about and want the best for your kids. Yeah, our... Um- our main babysitter is actually my ex metamore. We were both her husband and I were dating for seven years and both of us have ended relationships with him, but our relationship as friends have, has uh, grown and become even stronger. Uh, and so I kind of consider her part of our poly network as well, even though we're not metamores anymore. Uh, and she's, yeah, she's like our, our caregiver for our child uh, half of the week, you know? And so I feel like, it's really great to have that kind of network. Of course, it's it would be nice if we all lived within the same block. But honestly, the fact that we're all in Milwaukee is 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 part of like my village, I guess, my quote unquote village. <laughs> my um, one of my partners has uh, her family owns two duplexes on the same block, and I go back and forth between like, oh my god, that sounds great, and oh my god, I'm glad I'm six or seven minutes away, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Like it sounds wonderful and it is wonderful and it's totally the right setup for the people in it at this time. And it's nice to be close, but not actually maybe right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I understand that too. Um, Because my, my space is important. You know, I, I, my nesting partner and I share a home, um, which I, I enjoy that. Uh, I'm also grateful that we are in a, a privileged position enough to not have to take on like an additional roommate or, or something like that. Um, and, and so I can, I can definitely understand needing to have, it's like, it's great that they're just, you know, six or seven minutes away, 
so they're there when you need them. But at the same time, yeah, it's really important to have those boundaries too and, and be able to have your own separate space. And, and I think, I, I think any kind of village setup would, would be kind of like that too. Everybody has their own individual living spaces and all of that. And maybe there's like, you know, like a general uh, area where everybody congregates for, you know, for meals or just to hang out or, or whatever. But then you, you have the option of not doing that if you, if you want to as well. I think one of the really cool things that, um, that my friends and I did was they hosted, uh, they hosted a monthly brunch at their house for poly families. And I thought that was really cool because a lot of, uh, I mean, I don't know exactly what setup you have in, in Milwaukee, um, but a lot of the poly meetups and stuff like that are definitely geared more towards adults only, 24, 21 and up or 18 up, you know, whatever, um, and, and don't include minors, don't include children. Um, and while those are great in their own, you know, because it's great to be able to go out, have a few cocktails, meet some new people and get flirty and stuff like that. Um, but the family aspect, I think, is one that was kind of missing because there are a lot of people who have children and who are exploring this new aspect of their lives, but they don't know exactly how to integrate it or anything like that. Uh, and a lot of times the kids get left out of stuff. Um, and so it was great because people could just bring their kids over, the kids would play, the adults would hang out everybody would, you know, eat good food and like play games. And, and it was just very low key, chill, relax. You didn't have to have name tags or anything like that. Uh, you didn't have to sign up. You just come and go as you please. And um, when they moved away, I think, I think that was a, a big part of uh, the family aspect that kind of moved away with them. So I'm hoping as, as we start to return to normal in our society and in our lives being safe with, with getting vaccinated and putting this pandemic behind us and we start congregating again, I'm hoping at least in our community that we can have something similar to that where we can all have a welcome space for families and to be able to have that kind of community. The first time that you and I talked, you were telling me about that. And mm -hmm. as soon as we were done talking, I like, like immediately started talking to my partner um, who has this whole extended family thing set up and was like, oh, my God, poly family brunch. Like we have to do this when it's safe to do things again in real life. And like she's all in. There are so many families with young kids in our community um, that I think it would be amazing. And there's enough families with older kids that we could conceivably pay some older kids to be the babysitters and watch the younger kids so the adults can hang out and talk. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I have I have a teenager and uh, a kindergartner. And then my friends also had a teenager and a, a grade schooler at the time. Uh, and yeah, the older the older kids would kind of, you know, help help look after the younger ones the, the grown-ups could hang out um and there was it, it it was just it was just really great to see everybody come together and i think that the the fact that you talked to um 
to her about that and she was like so on board with it just shows exactly that oh this is a thing that's kind of missing from a lot of communities and it's a need that needs to be filled yeah i definitely think like especially in like planning what kind of socials our poly community can have safely under like covid restrictions i kept thinking okay well as soon as it's warm out we're going to have all of our socials be outside in a park, which brought, it kind of opened it up to being like, oh, well, then they can all be family friendly. Like, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, I don't know, whatever. Um, but the fact of the matter is that Milwaukee is a very booze heavy kind of city. We are all about the beer. We are all about bars and drinking. And so a lot of socials ended up being at bars, which by nature made them 21 and over or we would have them on like a friday night and it started at eight so they weren't really all that family friendly but one of the last ones we had before the pandemic so i guess february or very early march of last year we had it at a big like bouncy house it's a place called bounce milwaukee which and it's just amazing and they have like huge bouncy houses that adults or kids can go in as well as arcades and a bar and pizza and you know like a and playground don't forget the axe throwing. <laughs> and axe throwing and laser tag it's just like a really amazing space for uh, kids and adults and so that was our our last polysocial before the pandemic so i have a lot of like good feelings about that but i'm like oh man that was the last but then you know like thinking about it in in like post covid mindset i'm like that place was probably covered in germs oh no you know <laughs> there was a ball pit ew you know <laughs> but you know but at the time and uh, and uh, um what else did they have they had a rock climbing wall yeah it was it was amazing i, I really hope we're able to go back to that kind of space and have more family-friendly events because yeah i think that a lot of folks are left out of the community because they have small children and it's pretty pricey to get a babysitter to go out and then also get food and drinks and, and spend money, you know, like it's, so that can be a really um, big barrier for entry for a lot of folks. And so I, I definitely think having like day socials or brunch or uh, poly in the park events, you know, uh, is going to be probably most of what the socials end up being in all of 2021 because I want to keep them safe mm -hmm. and, and I want to keep them open to most people. So yeah, I hope that more poly communities do that. I'm sure, I'm sure people in better weather areas do like probably Texas. You can more throughout the year, <laughs> more of the year that works. Yeah. Yeah. Wisconsin, it's a little hairy for like six months of the year. <laughs> At least. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, spring just started and I mean, last, last month we were in a polar deep freeze. So uh, right. you know, mm -hmm. about that, but that's very rare. Um, but yeah, it's, it's gorgeous weather right now. And really before it gets like triple digit temperatures for a few months. Um, yeah, it, it actually, the, the it, it is very conducive to outdoor gatherings. Um, and there's a lot of great outdoor spaces here. There's walking trails, there's gorgeous, you know, green belts, there's parks, there's a bunch of different things. There's, there's like, um, you know, actual natural springs pools that you can swim in and stuff. And so, yeah, I think, I think there's going to be a lot of those kind of gatherings. And then, yeah, we also have the, kind of like the entertainment complex you were talking about that has the stuff for kids and then also the stuff for adults and, and um, those 
those are also an option too. But yeah, like you said, a uh, ball pit, a bunch of kids running around and stuff. It's like, what were they thinking? But yeah, we, we might have to change some things going forward. But yeah, the weather here is is really nice and conducive to that. So I'm hoping to see some more family oriented uh, events coming up soon. Nice. So um, why would you say that you are Polly? Why am I Polly? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's, and I know this sounds kind of cheesy, but it's true. I, I have an abundance of love. I have a really big heart and I, 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 I've always seen love as, um, you know, we recently had Pi Day and there's a, there's a, a, a meme, you know, regarding that, that love is not a pie where you have like so, so many slices and then it's all gone, but it's like, pi the math uh um, constant which is you know irrational uh and also never ending it's it's abundant and that kind of ties into what we're going to talk about it's abundance um uh but uh i've i've always felt that that i yes i can love one person truly and deeply but i don't i don't feel that it's in my best interest to 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 only have that one person and and restrict myself to that it it just i i I just feel like there's 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 so much potential for not only romance but also just amazing connections i love making connections with people um, you know, I used, I used to be introverted and I think I still kind of am, but I'm also very extroverted and that's actually, you know, played out a bit during the pandemic. I've realized just how much I miss those social events. My big things are karaoke or, you know, big meetups where there's a lot of energy and stuff like that. And I get to meet all my people and hugs and touch is one of my love languages. And so I think a lot of people, uh, that, are monogamous sort of kind of miss out on some of that because maybe they don't have multiple people in their lives that they can just be in a cuddle puddle with, you know, not even with anything sexual happening at all, but just have that, just be surrounded and embraced by love. Uh, and I think that is like so essential to who I am. And I, I, I think that, I, I think I would really be missing a big part of my soul if I didn't have that. And why did you agree to be interviewed today? Well, um, so this is an interesting story because uh, Katie and I actually, she reached out to me because it turns out that it, we actually uh, met on a budgeting forum. <laughs> we actually used the same budgeting software, budgeting app, and uh and uh, we have, there's a, a part on there where you can record journals and your own personal journeys and stuff like that. And there was a thread where the queer or polyamorous people in the community were, were uh, you know, saying, hi, I'm here, you know. And, and so I 
I introduced myself on one of them and I was like, hey, I'm waving here and queer and polyamorous. And then she jumped on that and she was like, whoa, I totally did not expect to have that kind of intersection in this place. <laughs> um, and and then she told me about the podcast and I thought it was awesome. And she invited me on the show. And also this subject that we're going to talk about is something that it's a concept that I've actually been fascinated with for years, even before I started my poly journey, really. And, uh, you know, even before I started using the, the budgeting app and all of that, it's, it's something that I, I think not only can be applied to finances, but also to so many other parts of your lives. Yeah. As soon as we started talking, I was like, oh, my gosh, Leanne needs to be on the podcast because, you know, we've never really talked about money and finances. Like we've had some discussions of like what are inexpensive things you can do on dates, but that's pretty close to the extent that we've talked about it. Yeah. So I am I'm super excited to be able to share this. And I want to make it clear that I am in no sense, former fashion, a financial guru. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't make a ton of money, um, but I've learned how to be able to use what I have and and and, and be able to uh, to be able to achieve my goals with that and actually coming out of uh, a divorce a few years ago from the, the person I was married to for so long, it was less than amicable. And I lost a lot in the process. And I basically had to start over from scratch at the age of 40 and rebuild everything. And so um, I've learned a lot in that time. And um, I'm, I'm really excited to talk a little bit about it and just share some concepts that really interest me. Yay. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey there. Interested in more Polyamory Uncensored content? You're in luck. We just started a blog, polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com. We're going to be showcasing stuff like episode breakdowns, polyamory and ethical non-monogamy related book reviews, and guest posts from authors like you. If you'd like to be a guest author, contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com and you might be able to see your work up on our website. Again, that's polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com and we're going to have some fun new poly-related content for you. Thanks. See you there. All right, we are back with Leanne, and we're going to talk about finances uh, and the theories of scarcity and abundance today. So just to start off, what do you mean by scarcity and abundance? That's a good question. Okay, so the concept of scarcity versus abundance, and this applies to not only with money, but also with relationships and with life in general. Scarcity is whenever people look at us at, at whatever they have, whatever resources they have, and they say, this is all I will ever have. So I must protect it at all costs. A lot of times it comes from a place of fear based on losing what they have. And so, you know, in the, in the form of money, it's kind of like viewing your finances with a closed fist where you have this amount and this is probably all that you're ever going to have. 
and you need to make sure that nothing happens to it, which means you can't share it. You can't do it. You know, you, you basically uh, just hang on. That's where you get like penny hoarders and stuff like that, uh, where um, you, you just get people that just hoard their money and just don't don't give to any charitable contributions or anything like that because they don't think that there's ever going to be enough to be able to go around. Abundance is in contrast to that where you have a worldview that says, okay, I have this much now, but I also have unlimited potential for more. So I can let things flow in and out. So it's instead of coming from a place of fear, you're actually very grounded, you're more secure in that this is what I have and I have the potential for so much more. And that's when you have, you take that closed fist and you actually turn it into an open palm. And again, with your money and stuff like that. So even there's been times in my life when like I got laid off from a job or something like that, or I wasn't sure about um, my finances going forward, something happened. And then usually when that happens, people have two different responses. They have the response of scarcity of, oh, shit just got real. And I need to make sure that I shut everything down and don't spend anything and, you know, and all of that. And that is important. You definitely don't want to, you know, do a whole bunch of unnecessary spending whenever you're not sure where, you know, your, your uh, income is, is going to come from. But at the same time, some people also view it as, okay, this happened. Um, I have what I have now to work with. I have the potential to be able to make more flow in. And while I'm here, I'm going to continue to use my resources and share them as necessary. Um, and so that's where that open palm comes in. Things flow in and out. And so talking about this, you can, you can see how it relates to both money and then also uh, individual relationships. Now, I want to make one thing very clear in saying this because we have a tendency to kind of you know, objectify People, of course, are not commodities, and relationships definitely should not be purely transactional. There's so much more that goes into it, but the underlying principles are similar. And so, going back to relationships, when you're looking at it from a monogamous standpoint, a lot of people have kind of that, that scarcity mindset, <clears throat> excuse me, when it comes to their relationships in that they have, they can only have one partner and that partner has to fill almost every need that they have. And not only that, but then they also kind of get into the, well, I'm not complete without this partner and I will never be enough on my own. So then you're getting into areas of codependency. Right. Um, and there's also like a cultural, you know, the jokes about, you know, don't look at other people and don't, you know. Micro cheating. Right. It, yeah. Yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> like, okay. We, I can't we believe we had a conversation people. with her or like the Mike Pence, you know, I can't be in a room with another woman and not, you know, my wife, but like mother. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
exactly. Uh, it, 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 it's so prevalent in our society. And, you know, it's, it's just so weird that this is what we accept. And, and it's like, oh, okay, this is normal and natural for people to react this way. And it's not until you get on the other side of it and you learn about ethical non-monogamy and you learn about polyamory and then you look at the other side of it and you're like, why? Why are people allowed to, to have this? It, it, I, I mean, why, why do we accept this? Why do we not question this? Why is it okay for someone to be insanely jealous or have these control issues over their partner for every tiny little thing? And I think it, it, it really plays back into that insecurity that I talked about. It's, it's coming from a place of fear. And so you've got, you know, that insecurity also that codependency, the, the whole you complete me thing, you know, I'm incomplete, I'll never be enough on my own. And there was actually a really good quote from uh, Brene Brown, who I absolutely love. Uh, and she said, for me, the opposite of scarcity is not abundance, it's enough. I'm enough. And I think that says a lot because even in polyamory, a lot of people kind of have that same insecurity about other partners and stuff, you know, their partners, partner, their metas. It's like, why am I not enough? Or, you know, and, mm -hmm. and so that still is a big issue. And it also comes back to the insecurity and kind of fear-based uh, and, and, you know, that leads to some really toxic stuff where you have the back, back to monogamous stuff, toxic monogamy, the ownership, the clinginess, possessive and jealous. Um, so flip that on its side and you've got abundance, which Brene's right. It's not necessarily a complete opposite, but it, it, it's, it's a different way of looking at things. Um, and it's that idea that I am enough already on my own. Even if I don't have another partner, I am a fully complete person and I don't need someone else to complete me. Um, I'm not in competition with anyone. And I can also have multiple partners to fill multiple needs. Right. I don't and have I have things that I want to share and I want to share this piece of me with this person and this piece of me with this person and this piece of me with this person. Yes, exactly. And so that's a different way to be able to, to look at things. And even if I only currently have one partner, I'm not relying on them to meet every one of my needs. Um, and so going back to the finance side of it, so I'm going to talk a little bit uh, Lindsay, about the the budgeting app that Katie and I use. Right. Yeah, this it was actually, actually an ad, but no, it's <laughs> not an ad. <laughs> I was I was wondering what the app was, and and you know, like just in how how poly folks budget differently because I feel like yeah. we we kind of have to, right? Yeah. Um, and so and and so I was really intrigued. I'm like, well, what is this app? What are, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's called You Need a Budget. And you can create your own categories and your own goals, and you can create multiple budgets once you have acquired the app. Um, there's a 34-day free trial. 
because they want you to see what the experience of rolling over into a new month is. And, um, but then, you know, there is a charge for it after that, but when you have it, you can make as many budgets as you want. So you could have a budget, Rob could have a budget and there's, they really break it down in a very clear and accessible language. And they've obviously pre-populated with things that most people have like rent or mortgage and electric and, you know, transportation, but you can do with it whatever you want. So if you want to have like everybody gets their own date night category or their own allowance category, you know, or if you want to have separate budgets, but you're each putting in towards the mortgage or whatever, like you can set it up however you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one, one thing that I really like about it is um, opposed to, a lot of budgeting programs that are very rigid and want you to project how much you're going to make and also spend for a whole month. And then when that doesn't happen, because life happens, you know, and then you look back at it and you're like, oh, you failed. Oh, okay. I guess you just suck at budgeting. No, in this case, they actually allow you to be a lot more flexible with it. And I'm going to get into that in just a minute. So there's like four main rules that uh, come along with this program. It's, it's like the, right, the, the... They declare as the rules. Yes. How to do it. Yeah. It's like a methodology. And I think, I think it's, it's really important to be able to understand what each one of those are and also how it relates to what we're talking about today. So the first one is it's what they call a zero-based budgeting app, which means that you take everything that you have right now, as far as savings, checkings, and everything like that, only what you have right now, and you assign a purpose to every one of those dollars. So if you have like 2000 in your checking account, but you also have 1000 in your savings account, and you haven't gotten paid yet, but you're going to get paid next week, you're not going to figure in that future paycheck. You're only going to work with the 2000 that you have now and the 1000 in your in your savings. Um, And the reason why they do that is because they want to make sure you're only dealing with money that actually exists right now. And so, yeah. Um, So you're focusing on the present and the way that you switch this back to relationships is it also, you, you, you don't, you're not focused on, well, you know, I don't have, X number of partners now, but I'm planning to have the, you know, this in the future. Uh, Someday when I can date. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and then it, it, it focuses you to be in the moment, focus on the present, what you do have now, and also take inventory of those relationships that you have that add value. And that's not just romantic partners. That's also friendships. That's also internet friends. It's also neighbors. It's also coworkers, everything, you know? Um, Right. Like I have a dining out category in mine, which obviously looks really different in the pandemic than it did before. Mm -hmm. But my best friend and I go walking for coffee at six o'clock in the morning every 
Saturday and Sunday, or at least every Saturday. Um, my girlfriend's been spending the night on Saturdays and then I don't want to get out of bed and go to <laughs> get coffee at five o'clock in the morning. Um, but like I kept that in my budget because it's really important to me. It's a relationship that's important to me. And, you know, we're able to safely do it in the pandemic. So like we're doing it, you know, and we've kept it up. And it really brings a lot to both of us. We actually figured out last week that we are approaching our ninth anniversary of doing this at like pretty much every weekend for nine years. That's awesome. That is really cool. Yeah. And see, that's a, that's a perfect example too. Another thing that I really like about this particular um, budgeting program, unlike some other ones like, you know, Dave Ramsey or something like that, where it's coming from a place of moral, assigning moral value to money. Um, this is completely non-judgmental. There are people from all walks of life and nobody can tell you what is a priority, but you, your budget is completely personal to you. So if having like Katie said, having the money for, you know, coffee with a friend. If that's a priority to you, you can put that in there. If having money for the next PS5 is a priority, that's your priority. You, you can do that. And nobody, your, your budget is not going to judge you for it. Uh, and so that's another thing that I really, really like. Um, and then, yeah, if you, it, well, polyamorous and- people have different, you know, different priorities and stuff too than maybe monogamous people do like money for date nights and things like that. Mm -hmm. Well, like I'm divorced and my ex um, lost their job during the pandemic and in the before times made a lot more money than I do. Mm -hmm. And so paid child support. And part of what had me like I really need to figure out my shit with my money is the loss of that child support income. Because when I was sort of operating kind of a paycheck to paycheck, including those and like not really conscious of what I was doing with my money, it was fine because the volume was enough that I didn't need to really pay close attention. Like sometimes I still screwed it up and, you know, but I no longer had any possibility of the luxury of not paying attention with the loss of that child support income. And I am amazed at how big of a difference just planning things and putting in the things that are fun, like the coffee or, you know, getting takeout with my girlfriend and those kinds of things are, and, you know, being able to plan for someday, I really want to go on the swing set takes desire trip to Mexico. So I can start just, you know, putting a little money into that category. And by the time it happens, maybe I'll have enough money. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, and so um, the, the second one is embrace your true expenses. And what this means is, so you've got your, your set expenses that are recurring expenses, probably fixed. Do you pay every single month, your rent or your mortgage, your utilities, um, you know, all, all of your monthly expenses that occur month after month and you pay pretty like much the same amount. Groceries. Yeah. Okay. You, you sometimes pay a different amount for those depending on what's going on that week. But the point is, these are things that occur every single month without fail. You know, you're going to have to set money aside. Then you've got stuff that comes around less frequently. 
you've got stuff that comes around maybe like once every six months, like car insurance, or uh, once a year, like annual subscription renewals. And so these are what they call your true expenses, things that you don't necessarily have to pay for every single month, but you know that they're going to be coming up. Property taxes, that's a big one. Um, And so you have a separate set of categories for these things that are, you know, expenses in life. I, my personal category for that is called the nickels and dimes of life because that's what they are. They're things that don't happen every single month without fail, but they are things that are still important. Let's say, going back to polyamory and relationships, let's say you have a comet relationship that only comes in town every so often, and maybe you see them a few times a year, but that's a thing that you do. Like with Katie's relationship with her friend, she knows that coffee thing is going to be happening. It's been happening for nine years and that's fantastic. Um, So maybe there's something that doesn't happen quite as often, like a comet comes into town, you guys plan, always plan to, you know, hang out, maybe, you know, spend the weekend together, get a hotel room, whatever, you know? Um, And so that's, that's something you not only budget for with your money, but also with your time and with your heart. And so it really does make you take inventory of everything that you currently have in your life right now, regardless of the frequency it, with which it, it comes into your life. Um, I think that's probably why it, another reason why it's important to have that like 34 day time. Like I know that I kept finding like, oh, I didn't even remember that I had this automatic subscription payment for, you know, storage space in the cloud that, or, you know, whatever random things like being able to just even have the opportunity to track those real life things and make a conscious choice of it's worth it to me to keep doing this or gosh, I should probably just get rid of this because I don't even, you know, blah, blah. It. Yeah. That's another thing too. And um, kids summer camp. There's one. <laughs> I've been posting a lot about that. There's a yeah. little drama on <laughs> summer camp right now. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, like you said, taking inventory and, and, and being like, okay, maybe this isn't adding value to me. Maybe um, when I first started the subscription a while back, it was, it was important and I was getting something out of it, but maybe it's just not that important anymore. Well, I can go ahead and cancel it, but first I have to be aware of it and how much it's costing me and, you know, what, what is going to, um, what is going to be the difference in, severing this connection again going back to relationships going back to people in our lives and stuff like that maybe you have friends that you used to be friends with a long time ago used to be best buds but you went separate ways in your life and maybe you have different values now maybe every time you see their face on facebook or the things that they post it gets you upset maybe it's time to unfollow them or unfriend them, you know? So it's all connected. Um, And so these are, like I said, these are concepts, even if you're not into budgeting or whatever, these are still concepts that you can totally use in your everyday life and interactions with other people. I actually think the taking inventory thing really applies to so many areas of life. Like, um, 
a few years ago, I took this uh, class that was about looking at um, your approach to your health and well-being. And one of the things they had everybody do was just take an inventory of all the food in your house. And it was not at all judgment, but it was really just like, get present. What do you have? What do you use? What do you have? And you don't even use it. Like, know what's so. And then you can make choices about what you want to do, what you want to prioritize. But if you don't even know what you've got, what are you doing? That's true. And yeah, that goes for food. That goes for um, spring cleaning. Like it maybe if you're planning a move or something like that and you go through and you start before you start packing things, you're going through everything and you're realizing, why do I even still have this? I haven't used this in forever. Maybe I should donate it. Maybe I should try to sell it, you know? Um, and so, yeah, this is, this is something that can be used for all different aspects of life, even if you're not currently pursuing any relationships or anything like that. We all have connections to either people or things in our lives. And we, it's important to sometimes just step back and take inventory of that and decide what's adding value, what's maybe taking value away uh, and, and, and be able to make those decisions going forward. And there's always the Marie Kondo method of, of does it bring joy? Or yes. is it taking up space? Yeah, there's does it so spark much, joy? Yeah. There's so much in my life that are actual physical things and objects. And then there are people. And I'm and sometimes you're like, does this bring joy? Does this person bring joy to my life? Right, <laughs> you know, exactly. Can I remove them? <laughs> yeah. And, and like yeah, I you said, might not be we're able not... to remove them, but you could at least downgrade their energy level that they take from you. Yeah. Exactly. Put, up, put up some more boundaries so that yes. maybe the, the aspect that they have in my life can bring joy because it's a small aspect or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like some of the, some of the people that I might have known from a, a previous part of my life that I'm still connected to on social media Maybe we don't see eye to eye on political stuff, but maybe we're still like really big cheerleaders in each other's lives when it comes to the big life things. So I can unfollow them, but still be able to have that little part of life whenever I post something really good happening or something like that. or I can snooze. They have snooze options now where it's like, okay, this person maybe is taking just a little too much of my mental space right now and maybe i just need to take a break from them for a little bit so yeah that's a that's a big thing and uh it's important to be able to have those options and and like i said at the beginning of this people aren't commodities and so it's not necessarily a thing of well you're just not doing anything for me anymore and so i'm dumping you to the curb you know um but it's, it's nuanced. There's, there's a lot of different aspects there. So yeah, I'm glad you actually brought that up, Lindsay, because that's important too. So um, the third rule, and this one I think is probably one of the most important ones, as I go back to flexibility versus having rigidity in, in budgeting and stuff and in life, is roll with the punches. And what that means is, let's say you budgeted a certain amount for, we'll just use groceries or something like that. Like you're, you're used to spending, I don't know, 
$250 a month on groceries or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then let's say it's non-pandemic times and you have company coming in and they're going to be staying with you, you know? And so you, you, you're like, Oh, well, I know that they're going to be stay with me and I'm probably going to be making more home cooked meals. So now I need to, I need to increase that, you know, or maybe I, I went grocery shopping and I overestimated or underestimated how much I was going to spend. And, and, Oh, I went over budget. Now what? Does it mean that I'm a budgeting failure? No, it doesn't. It means that you look at where you can look at things that are lower priority and pull extra money from that just to be able to cover it. Okay. Well, I went $50 over on my budget on my budget for groceries, but I also have an extra $50 in clothing expenses and I haven't bought any new clothes this month or whatever. So I have that money left over. I could just take it from this category, move it to this category. Boom, I'm done. It doesn't mean that I'm a budgeting failure. It just means that life happens. That's rolling with the punches. Flip that on life. Be flexible and be open to shifting dynamics with people. I'll use my example of me and my girlfriend. You know, Um, there was a point where we were, we were dating, we were going out and we were extremely high priorities to each other. Other things happened, priorities changed. She decided she wanted to de-escalate, but not completely remove. And so, you know, I, at that point I had two choices. I could have been like, you know, well, okay, I see how it is, duh, whatever, you know, and, and basically just like, completely cut myself off and and all of that. Um, Or I could be like, you know what? Just because our dynamic is shifting doesn't mean that she's not still important to me. And so I rolled with the punches. I, 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 we, we changed our dynamic. It shifted and then eventually it shifted back. And so it's important to be able to, allow people to flow in and out or redefine their roles on their own terms instead of you trying to peg them, you know, into a box. You're going to be this from now on, you know. Um, And sometimes, sometimes the other way, a relationship involves into something that looks really different from its original form. And that's okay, too. It wasn't what you expected, but you know, now it's, it's, it's something that has grown organically and neither one of you really saw this coming, but you look at it now and you're like, Hey, you know what? This, this actually works. All right. Sounds good. And I think it can also be in a sort of a shorter term context as well. Like you might have a date night planned and somebody else in your life has a crisis and you've got to be able to say like, I'm really sorry, um, but there's a crisis and I have to help deal with this crisis. Um, and, you know, you can look at patterns as well. Like, oh, gee, it seems like every time we have a date night scheduled, so-and-so has a crisis. So-and-so, you um, and I need to figure out what's going on here because this isn't working. Because I can look at the patterns and see where my priorities are and the things that I want in life are not reflected in the way that I'm actually spending my time. So, you know, that's 
a, a, like a definitely a similar parallel, like, oh, you know, suddenly the car got a flat tire and I needed a new tire. So I needed to move that money around without planning. But, you know, if you keep blowing the left front tire on your car, maybe there's something bigger wrong and you need to figure out what's going on there. Exactly. Yes. And I think and that that's a really good point. Definitely. And there are like financial problems that will come up that will definitely, I think, affect your poly lifestyle. I know I was dating someone who lost their job once and him and his wife had shared finances and we were going out like nothing had ever happened. And I guess I wasn't really thinking about it. Right. And we were going out to bars and restaurants. And at one point his wife was like, can you stop spending my money? God damn. You know, like (laughs) you're going and getting drinks with your girlfriend and I can't afford it. You have to stop doing that. And he was just fiscally irresponsible up and down. Right. So that was a problem that they had to address within their relationship. But then there are also things like, you know, discrepancies between how much a partner and you can make. And so when it comes to going out and getting, you know, drinks or dinner, if someone is deciding, Hey, we're going to split the bill every time, but I'm going to choose a really fancy expensive restaurant. Like that doesn't work. That doesn't work that way. You know, like sometimes you really have to discuss how maybe if you want to go out for an expensive dinner and you can afford it, then you buy that time. And if the other person can't, they make food at home for you, you know, <laughs> like and, and compromise in situations because finances can get really tricky and they can get really, that can put a lot of stress on a relationship. I think it's usually what people will say is one of their leading relationship stresses is money. So like, knowing going into a relationship that things are going to be things are definitely going to come up and they might cause extra stress but then that money situation and how uh your finances work with and alongside your partners is 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 super important rolling with punches again like what what you guys can do to compromise in those situations And again, it also comes down to like, what are your priorities? Like if date nights with partners who are not your nesting partner is a priority, then you want to be allocating resources to that. But it also needs to really feel fair in the context of even if you don't share finances with your nesting partner, you do share responsibilities that are financial. And so, you know, if you've made some kind of arrangement where, you know, you each pay a proportion to your income or you each pay half of whatever specific expenses, however, any two individuals decide to negotiate that, like the rest of your life still has to work too. And the other person can't end up feeling resentful because that's going to poison the relationship And, you know, not to say like you could never have a moment of resentment, but it can't be a pattern. It can't be a thing that is an ongoing problem or it's not going to work. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's a a really good point, too, especially with the um, assigning your priorities and making sure that you're approaching things from a fair standpoint with your other existing relationships. Like you said, my nesting partner and I, we do a lot of our life together, but our finances are separate from each other. And the reason for that is because both of us are, we're coming out of long-term relationships where our lives and our finances and every aspect of our lives were entangled and intertwined with that other partner. And so both of us um, having to separate ourselves from that, um, we we both decided, you know, we don't 
we don't want to combine our finances. We want, we want to be able to be fair and equitable as far as how we split the, how we split the expenses. Um, but yeah, like if I'm going to prioritize seeing my girlfriend, I want to make sure that that doesn't take away from time with him. And then also, you know, making sure that, that um, money wise, even though our expenses are separate from each other, um, that we're, we're still both keeping each other's being considerate with each other's uh, like sh- holding up your share of the responsibility. That yes, you exactly. Yeah. And then the last thing uh, is, well, the last, <laughs> um, I, I'm going to get you guys input on this last one because I haven't really thought of exactly how it could apply, but I'm sure there's a reason how it could. Uh, the last rule is, well, it, it used to be live on last month's income, which means that you're trying to get ahead. So a lot of people that live paycheck, paycheck to paycheck are, um, you know, you, you make so much money, you spend so much money, it doesn't really seem like you have anything left over. And so you repeat the process month after month and you have a very narrow, thin, of, um, thin line of, of margin in between your, your needs and your wants there. So what I like about this program is that it encourages you to look at all these other places where you have a little bit of, of margin to be able to set aside some money for the next month and then you can start to very slowly get ahead on things because if it's the beginning of the month and you already have the rent or mortgage for not this month but for the next month then whenever it comes time to pay that you'll you'll be a month ahead on that and it'll help you get further ahead. And then you've basically broken the paycheck to paycheck cycle because now at the beginning of the month, eventually you get to a point where at the beginning of the month, you have all of the money that you need for that month. And you don't, any income that you receive during that month is going to go to the next month. And so it really reduces stress and all that like money tension that people have because you're like, okay, nope, I've covered. I already have the money to do this thing. Yes, exactly. And it, it, yeah, it reduces stress and it also uh, reduces unpredictability when things do happen. There's been a few times that I've gotten ahead and then I had some crazy life thing happen and I kind of had to fall back. But the point is that I wasn't starting from scratch. I had a little bit of cushion so that whenever I took that hit, I was able to quickly get back to where I was within a few weeks or even a month because I had those options because I, I was already putting myself in a place where I was in that position. Um, And so I guess this kind of goes to, you know, looking towards the future and stuff like that with, with relationships. I don't know if there's like a particular thing that you can think of that would relate to, to life in general, as far as breaking that cycle and, and. I think it's like a different, maybe a different way of looking at the relationship escalator. Like, you know, with your finances, where you're trying to go yeah. and 
but you but inside this budgeting structure it's not here's what society says you should be saving your money for and spending your money on it's you've created it and we're creating our priorities with our relationships as well and while they're not predictable necessarily like you do have an idea in any given relationship of kind of where you are where you would like to be you know if you're on the path you want to be on and you know when shit happens you can course correct but also like hey yeah like i know i want to be able to go do this thing with this partner so i want to plan my time ahead so that my other partners feel taken care of and I can go off for a weekend with this person or I can go do this special event with this person. I know personally, I grew up in a very like financially unstable household where there were times in which my mother, my sister and I had to leave and move to a different city overnight, you know, like first and last month's rent and security deposit and everything were required so we had to know that we would have that in case of like at, at one point it was an abusive a partner like my mom had to get a restraining order and move out of the house overnight you know within the weekend or whatever and and there were those kind of issues that I, that I were like around when I was growing up to the point where when I was an adult and living with well like roommates and on my own and whatnot and then with partners I, it was always in the back of my head that I had to have like a, a quote unquote go bag of finances. And I could not be, I could not even, you know, like mentally there was like a block of relying financially on another person because, and my relationship is very secure and I don't have that, like, I don't necessarily have that anymore, but like, I would always think I have to have financial security on my own and that uh, savings to get out of any situation, uh, just in case, who knows what happens kind of thing. And I think that, I think it's a good thing to have though, not necessarily mentally healthy to think that that's always on the precipice of going to happen at any, at any moment. Cause that can be very, very stressful. But I think that relying financially hundred percent on anyone, whether it's a parent, a friend, a lover, a husband, wife, whatever is not going to always end well, right? Like accidents happen, things happen, death happens, relationship relationships end that happens you know so so always having some kind of financial just in case like i know i have a month's worth of finances ready in case i have to go in case i have to leave in case something happens and and i think that that that's just a good thing to have for anyone to to just know you have even just one month's stability when it comes to money. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And the thing that you mentioned too, about not being a hundred percent reliant on another person uh, that also kind of goes back to that whole scarcity mindset too, especially in monogamous relationships that this is the person that I've built my life around. And then when that ends, if that ends, then you're kind of left like, oh, what's plan B? What do I do now? You know, and and a lot of people kind of lose themselves in the process because they've just wrapped their entire life and identity around this one person. Or they they stay in an abusive relationship because of it, you know, and that could be financial abuse is a a really huge problem. Yes, exactly. And that, that's a, that's another good point too. And I think actually, um, 
I think having the, uh, the, the, the different objective opinions of third parties of, of, of people on the outside looking at my relationship dynamic with my husband, um, there were things that I wasn't able to see because I was in it, you know, but other people saw it. And then, you know, not, you can't tell somebody, you know, God, your husband's a jerk or whatever, you know, I mean, can, but yeah. <laughs> it's often not a productive conversation. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's like, no, this is, this is my life partner. This is who, you know, you're going to defend them and stuff. Um, but I think, I think also, being able to have those outside voices because a lot of times, and you know, I'm, uh, I'm not necessarily trying to relate my experience to one that has, has been, you know, a victim of domestic violence and everything, but a lot of times an abuser will isolate that person and make sure that they cut them off financially and that they don't have any recourse or anything like that. And so being able to have those outside voices, being able to, even though uh, we had like a joint checking account, I still had my own money, you know, and, and stuff like that. I, I did lose a lot, you know, when things went south. Um, but I was also able to fall back on that support network and be able to eventually get on my feet again and, and start building a new life. Um, my journal actually um, on the on the forum is well. I have I have a second one now, but the first one that I started when I first started this journey was right after my divorce, and it was called "Picking Up the Pieces." And the reason why I named it that is because I felt like my entire life had shattered, and I was left trying to scramble to pick those pieces up and try to reshape them into a design of my own. And so now my, you know, my second journal is called putting the pieces together. And so that's, it's in the second half of it now where I've done a pretty good job of picking up those pieces. And now I'm just trying to put everything together. Um, and, and that all just kind of ties back to, like you said, being prepared, making sure that you don't completely intertwine your life and your identity with someone to the point where you lose yourself in the process. Well, and that's, I think, also a really great place where polyamory can have people who are close enough to see troubling patterns that you might not see from inside and be able to say like, hey, you know, I'm kind of concerned because I've noticed X happened, Y happened, and Z happened. And you know, I, I'm worried about you. Are you okay? Where in sort of monogamy, you're not, nobody's supposed to see that X happened, Y happened, and Z happened. Or, you know, you're not supposed to talk about whatever it is that's going on that might be not so great in your marriage. So, you know, nobody might know. And human beings do a thing where we think that what we're doing is normal. And so, yeah it's hard to see sometimes when we get into really unhealthy patterns. Um, I know for me, one of my huge wake-up calls before I got divorced happened in like my casually saying something to a group of people I didn't know that well at dinner and them having this like, yes. and I was like, 
Okay, so that's not normal. Uh huh. Okay. Well. Huh. Yeah, and I've had I've had that experience also where you just casually mention something and the other person looks at you like, "Really? Are you serious right now?" And you're like, "What? What? Doesn't everybody do this or think this or that?" Isn't it normal to not have sex for six or seven years in a marriage? Come on, what? Go figure. (laughs) Silly me. I have that. I have that happen so often when I talk about like growing up, you know, because like things like, oh, yeah, you know, there was an abusive situation. And then my mom and my sister and I had to move to a different city overnight. And people are like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, that. Oh, that didn't happen. OK, yeah, I guess it doesn't always happen. Or, you know, like my husband's my husband's parents are still together after what, 50 years or something. And I'm like, well, that's weird. <laughs> like <laughs> my parents have both been divorced twice. Like, that's so weird. OK, uh, uh I guess I didn't realize that other people had like, I don't know, loving, committed and successful relationships that worked monogamous ones at that. How crazy, like, (laughs) you know, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I I sometimes get those like, (gasps) like looked when I talk about growing up, you know, in in kind of dysfunctional households. And but when it comes to relationships, I've definitely had that too. past relationships. I feel like after my 20s and I went through a lot, a series of men that I was trying to fix and then decided that doesn't work. Uh, (laughs) uh, And now it doesn't happen quite as often, but definitely there were some people who whenever I would talk about them with my friends, they'd be like, hey, you know what? That's not normal. Maybe don't do that. (laughs) Or it's not healthy. Nothing was normal, but uh, (laughs) it's not healthy. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, that's uh, that's basically the the gist of not only the the four rules of this program, but um, how this concept of scarcity versus abundance flows back out of just a purely financial standpoint, but also uh, impacts other aspects of our of our lives and stuff. And I think. I think that I've been really fortunate to find this program, to be able to relate to these rules and to use them, to be able to put myself in a much better position now than I was a few years ago, even with what I've had. So I haven't, I haven't had like massive windfalls. I haven't had an inheritance left to me. I haven't had, uh, you know, a huge promotion at work. I've basically, I've, I've had actually had, you know, my, my income reduce a lot because of, you know, things taken out, support payments and stuff like that. And so um, this is really, again, looking at, it'd be easy for me to say, oh gosh, I'm just not making enough money, you know, but the truth is I am making enough money. And not only that, but the money that I do make, I'm utilizing every part of it so that I have, you're looking at that from that abundance mindset that I have this much now, it, it has the potential to do all of these things. And I also have unlimited potential to, to have more flow in, in the future. That reminds me that I really wanted to tell this story, which is I'm coaching this communications class. And one of my teams in this communications class, um, everybody else is monogamous people who are not currently in relationships and want to be. So they created that, like what they want to um have out of doing the work that we're doing is they want to create new romantic relationships for themselves. And I was like, you know, I love that. That's great. 
I am in such a place of abundance right now. Like I'm so happy with my romantic life right now. I like, I'm not really looking for any expansion in that area. And they were like, well, are you open to it? (laughs) And I was like, well, okay, sure. (laughs) I can play from, I am open to it. (laughs) And that's really, I think the beauty of the abundance mindset is like, what are you open to? And then within that, you can make choices about what do you want. Yeah, that's a really good point. And yeah, it, that that's really all it comes down to is just asking yourself, am I open to this? It's not necessarily in my life now, but am I open to this opportunity? Am I open to this new relationship? Am I open to this new um, stream of income? It, it, all of these different things and they're all kind of intertwined. And yeah, that's a really good way to look at it is just being open to it. And I think to to wrap things up, I'd like to end with a question. Uh, We usually ask about like the topic and advice and that was really good advice, but I also kind of wanted to one, I was wondering uh, throughout our discussion, what advice do you have for folks to remove that fear um, that is rooted in the scarcity uh, like feeling? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, like I said, a lot of that scarcity is coming from a place of fear and insecurity. So one of the recommendations I would make is therapy, therapy, therapy. Uh, That's really important. I understand that, you know, especially in this country, not everybody has access to it because mental health is just not prioritized in this country, sadly. And a lot of people just are not in the position to be able to see a professional and talk about this. I actually didn't start therapy until I was going through a divorce and I wish I had started so much sooner. I would have learned so much more about myself and about other people and my dynamics between them. Uh, Another thing that I would also say is there's a ton of, it's it's all about being able to view yourself and have that self-worth and realize that I am a complete person on my own. And anyone else that comes into my life is just adding value to that. But I am already a complete person and I am enough. And there's, there's so many books and resources and stuff out there. I mentioned Brene Brown earlier, and she talks a lot about vulnerability. She talks a lot about having this sense of being enough, regardless of what else you have in your life. Um, and, And then also just being able to have that self image and, and see yourself and not have to, feel like you're in competition with anyone else and that you are your your own person and you know regardless of whether or not you have another partner at this time you're still your own person and you are still enough and i would say also like acknowledging the fear like it's not wrong to have those fears your fears are your fears yes. but if you can really like articulate, you know, and I would go with like, write out, like really exactly what is it that you're afraid of? What has you be afraid of that? Like, you know, what was the thing in your past that it makes you feel like you need to do this to protect your future? And 
not beating yourself up about it, not making yourself wrong about it, but just like, okay, so this is this thing I do. And I can either honor this thing I do, or I can look at what I want and what my adult priorities are in my adult life context. And I can honor that instead. And, you know, not to say like, again, not with no making yourself wrong or other people even not making anything wrong, but like, okay, so that's a thing. It's a thing I do. That's like a reflex. Is it really happening? Is it really my priority? Like, what do I really need to do? What do I really want to do? Like, okay, all right. Maybe I want to create something new that inspires me to more than I'm afraid of that thing. What could I create that I would be really inspired by, you know, and maybe that's launching your own business. Maybe it's saving for a house or a trip or whatever, but you know, that's something that you're creating as opposed to reacting to from when you were a kid. Yeah, that's the, those are all really, really good points. And yeah, I like the idea of being able to just, to just face it and, and, you know, non-judgmentally just say, okay, well, I have this, this is where this comes from. This is how I've reacted. And is this aligning with how I want to be able to do things in the future? Uh, is it, it, do I want to have a different outcome? Maybe I need to address this and realize that, okay, yes, I do have this, this did happen. And this is my response to it, but maybe I could modify my behavior or my expectations so that I have a different outcome. Right. And it doesn't mean you have to even not have the things that you're afraid of not having. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I lived through September 11th. I lived in Washington, D.C. It was a huge, super weird trauma. And I have a prepper streak. And I'm not proud of it. I'm kind of embarrassed about it. It's weird. It doesn't align with anything else about my personality and my life. And I have like bags of non-perishable freeze-dried food in my basement in bins. And that's just how it is, you know? And every so often something happens and I have to go buy another like bin of weird freeze-dried right-wing freaky food. And like... (laughs) Does it align with everything else? Does it fit my best? Does not. <laughs> That's but okay. It, yeah, it's, exactly. It's a thing that sometimes the fear and freak out trauma gets to, you know, go spend a hundred bucks. And I can guarantee you that uh, because of what happened last month here in Texas, there are a lot of people now that are have, have that have that prepper streak that didn't before. And I myself am one of them. I'm looking to, you know, re- realize, that, OK, we were fortunate that we didn't lose power. So we had, you know, heat and and stuff all the time. We did lose water, though. And honestly, between the two of them, I'd rather have running water than, you know, because uh, with I maybe also have 10 gallons of water and milk jugs next to all of yes. my. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes. But the point is that you had that experience. It did have this impact on you. And it's it's not anything that you really need to feel ashamed about or anything. It's just how it is. And, you know, I'm going to I'm, I'm moving forward with, you know, the, the experience with this ice storm and everything that we went through last month. And and it's definitely 
you know, it, it's definitely changed the way that I view things too. And um, so I actually, I actually came from Arkansas originally and that's like tornadoes are really <laughs> big there. Here and, too in Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the whole like tornado alley thing. And so that's a thing that uh, I've had in my experiences. I almost lost both of my grandparents in a tornado when when I was a child and they they lived in a mobile home at the time and they just barely survived the tornado. And then, of course, they were able to rebuild. They rebuilt a really strong, sturdy house with a good foundation but that's something that 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 I myself am a little bit paranoid about when it comes to you know that and thankfully I'm in an area where that doesn't happen very often anymore but um that's that's a part of me and that's how I'm always you know going to 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 view things as a as a possibility of just being really really aware and 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 wary of that too so yeah it's not about it's not about being ashamed. It's not about looking at it judgmentally, but you just acknowledge that, okay, yeah, I had this life experience and this is, this is where it brought me. And honestly, what harm is it doing? You know, right. it's one thing if you're allowing it to completely uh, alter every single aspect of your life and you like just stay hunkered down in the basement forever and you never come out. But Honestly, what is it? Was it hurting to have this extra stuff? It's not. I mean, it might be kind of a pain in the ass if you have to move. Okay, big deal, you know. But if it's something that's not having a serious negative impact on other aspects of your life, then you know, worst case scenario, something actually happens, and you need to use this stuff. You're prepared, you know. Best case scenario, you never have to use it. It's like insurance. You know, so yeah, I totally get that. And I agree with you. So lasting message is be prepared and <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> and it's okay to be your own weird person that you are. You yes. can just acknowledge that and then figure out how to integrate that with your priorities. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you okay. so much, Leanne. This You're was welcome. Really fun. <laughs> but right. it was great. It was great meeting both of y'all. And I hope to come back again sometime. Yeah. That would be fun. All right. Okay. Take care. Bye. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye. Bye.